0: Welcome to the LibriVox Recent Releases Podcast for May 2008. Like all LibriVox recordings, this is in the public domain. In May, the LibriVox community of volunteers have released a whopping 115 audiobooks into the public domain. Today I have samples from 10 of those books for you. The first one is Emma by Jane Austen. Emma is a comic novel by Jane Austen first published in 1816 about the perils of misconstrued romance. The main character, Emma Woodhouse, is described in the opening paragraph as handsome, clever and rich, but is also rather spoiled. Prior to starting the novel, Austen wrote, I'm going to take a heroine whom no one but myself will much like. Here's a sample from chapter one, read by Sabella Denton, from the second version recorded by LibriVox. When this was over, Mr. Woodhouse gratefully observed, "'It is very kind of you, Mr. Knightley, to come out at this late hour to call upon us. I am
1: afraid you must have had a shocking walk.' "'Not at all, sir. It is a beautiful moonlight night, and so mild that I must draw back from your great fire.' "'But you must have found it very damp and dirty. I wish you may not catch cold.' "'Dirty, sir. Look at my shoes. Not a speck on them.' "'Well, that is quite surprising, for we have had a vast deal of rain here.' It rained dreadfully hard for half an hour while we were at breakfast. I wanted them to put off the wedding. By the by, I have not wished you joy. Being pretty
0: well aware of what sort of joy you must both be feeling, I have been in no hurry with my congratulations, but I hope it all went off tolerably well. The second book is called The Beasts of Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs. In the previous novel, Tarzan reclaimed his name and title as John Clayton, Lord Greystoke. In this novel, he finds that proper society is just as vicious as the jungle when greedy men threaten him and his new family. Jane and her infant son Jack are kidnapped by Tarzan's enemies Nicholas Rokoff and Alexis Pulvich, who then trap Tarzan himself and attempt to exile him forever on a primitive island, bereft of all those dear to him. There, however... Tarzan gains new allies in the panther Shita and the ape Akut. Together with Akut's band, with their aid he tracks down his wife and son, and his arch enemies, Rokov and Paulvitch. Here's a sample from chapter one, read by James Christopher.
1: I am conversant with the plot of those who took him. In fact, I was a party to it, and was to share in the reward. But now they are trying to ditch me, and to be quits with them, I will aid you to recover him on condition that you will not prosecute me for my part in the crime. What do you say? If you leave me to where my son is hidden, replied the ape-man, you need fear nothing from me. Good, replied the other, but you must come alone to meet me, for it is enough that I must trust you. I cannot take the chance of permitting others to learn my identity. Where and when may I meet you? asked Tarzan. The other gave the name and location of a public house on the waterfront at Dover, A place frequented by sailors. Come, he concluded, about 10 o'clock tonight. It would do no good to arrive earlier.
0: Next up, we have a sci-fi story. This is called Storm Over Warlock by Andre Norton. The Throg Task Force struck the Terran survey camp a few minutes after dawn without warning and with a deadly precision which argued that the aliens had fully reconnoitred and prepared that attack. Eye-searing lances of energy slashed back and forth across the base with methodical accuracy, and a single cowering witness, flattened on a ledge in the heights above, knew that when the last of those yellow-red bolts fell, nothing human would be left alive down there. Here's a sample from Chapter 1, read by R. J. Davis.
1: The path he followed ended abruptly in a cliff drop, and Shan made a face at the odor rising from below even though that scent meant he could climb down to the valley floor here without fearing any clack-clack attention. Chemical fumes from a mineral spring funneled against the wall, warding off any nesting in this section. Shan drew up the hood of his jacket and snapped the transparent face mask into place. He must get away, then find food, water, a hiding place. That will to live which had made Shan land. Tea, fight innumerable battles in the past was in command, bracing him with a stubborn determination.
0: Next up, we have a children's story called Little Bear by Laura Roundtree smith It's about a little bear with no name because there weren't enough names to go around, and his adventures in trying to find a name. Here's a sample from chapter one, read by Carolyn Francis.
1: Little Bear cried, Boo-hoo, boo-hoo! He cried so hard that his tears fell into his bowl of bread and milk. The tears made the milk taste salty. "'What is the matter?' asked Papa Bear. Little Bear did not say a word. He only cried, "'Boo-hoo!' Mama Bear said, "'Everyone teases Little Bear because he has no name.' "'Why didn't you give him a name?' asked Papa Bear. Mama Bear said, "'There were not enough names to go round.'"
0: The next recording I have for you is The Importance of Being Earnest by Oscar Wilde, one of my favourite stories. In Wilde's classic play The Importance of Being Earnest, Jack Worthing and Algernon Moncrief discover the perils of love, assumed identities, and telling the truth. Here's a sample from Chapter 1, but there's no single reader here, This play has a full cast.
1: But why does she call herself Little Cecily
0: if she is your aunt and lives at Tunbridge Wells? Reading. From Little Cecily, with her fondest love. Moving to sofa and kneeling upon it. My dear fellow, what on earth is there in that? Some aunts are tall, some aunts are not tall. That is a matter that surely an aunt may be allowed to decide for herself. You seem to think that every aunt should be exactly like your aunt. That is absurd. For heaven's sake, give me back my cigarette case. Follows Algernon around the room.
1: Yes, but why does your aunt call you her uncle? From little Cecily with her fondest love to her dear uncle Jack. There is no objection I admit, to an aunt being a small aunt, but why an aunt, no matter what her size may be, should call her own nephew her uncle, I can't quite make out
0: The next recording I have for you is Point of Honor" by Joseph Comrad. Set during the Napoleonic Wars, the Point of Honour, English title The Duel, features two French Hussar officers, de Herbert and Faraud. Their quarrel over an initially minor incident turns into a bitter, long-drawn-out struggle over the following 15 years interwoven them with the largest conflict that provides its backdrop. At the beginning, Faraud is one who jealously guards his honour and repeatedly demands satisfaction anew when a dueling encounter ends inconclusively. He aggressively pursues every opportunity to locate and duel his foe. As the story progresses, de Hubert also finds himself caught up in the contest, unable to back down or walk away. Here's a sample from chapter one, read by Mark F. Smith.
1: But you can't go out to fight. You are under arrest, you lunatic. He objected with angry scorn. There's the garden. It's big enough to lay out your long carcass in spluttered out Lieutenant Feraud with such ardor that somehow the anger of the cooler man subsided. "'This is perfectly absurd,' he said, glad enough to think he had found a way out of it for the moment. "'We will never get any of our comrades to serve as seconds. It's preposterous.' "'Seconds! Damn the seconds! We don't want any seconds. Don't you worry about any seconds. I will send word to your friends to come and bury you when I am done.' This is no time for ceremonies, and if you want any witnesses, I'll send word to the old girl to put her head out of a window at the back.
0: The next recording is called The Collected Poems of Rupert Brooke, strangely enough, written by Rupert Brooke. Rupert Chawner Brooke, August 3rd, 1887 to April 23rd, 1915, was an English poet known for his idealistic war sonnets written during the First World War, as well as for some of his poetry written outside of the war, namely The Old Vicarage... Grandchester and the Great Lover. He was also known for his boyish good looks, which prompted the Irish poet William Butler Yeats to describe him as the handsomest young man in England. Here's a sample from the first poem, called Second Best, and read by Graham Redman.
1: Here in the dark, O oh heart, alone with the enduring earth and night and silence and the warm strange smell of clover, clear visioned, though it break you, far apart from the dead best, the dear and old delight. Throw down your dreams of immortality, O faithful, O foolish lover. Here's peace for you and surety. Hear the one wisdom, the truth. All day the good glad sun showers love and labour on you, wine and song. The green wood laughs, the wind blows all day long till night.
0: And next recording is from the Book of Psalms. Psalms is a book of the Hebrew Bible, included in the collected works known as The Writings. Psalms were written by various writers, including Israel's King David. The collection includes the following types of psalm, among others, psalms for praise, guidance, consolation, recognition of God's creation and for the need of repentance. Certain psalms, such as Psalm 22 and Psalm 110, are accepted by Christians and certain Jews as messianic or containing messianic prophecies. Here's a sample from the second file in the collection, covering chapters 14 to 28, read for us by Sam Stinson.
1: Chapter 21. The King shall joy in thy strength, O Jehovah, And in thy salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. Thou hast given him his heart's desire, and hast not withholden the request of his lips. For thou meetest him with the blessings of goodness. Thou settest a crown of fine gold on his head. He asked life of thee, thou gavest it him. Even length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great in thy salvation. Honor and majesty dost thou lay upon him. For thou makest him most blessed forever. Thou makest him glad with joy in thy presence. For the King trusteth in Jehovah, and through the loving kindness of the Most High, he shall not be moved.
0: As well as recording books in English, the LibriVox community also record a number of titles in foreign languages. The next story I have for you is in German, and not being a German speaker, I'm going to let the readers speak for themselves. Here's a sample from the first chapter of the book, introduced by the reader, Radar.
1: Geschichte des Dreißigjährigen Kriegs von Friedrich von Schiller Erster Teil, erstes Buch, eins Seit dem Anfang des Religionskriegs in Deutschland bis zum Münsterischen Frieden ist in der politischen Welt Europens ...kaum etwas Großes oder Merkwürdiges geschehen, woran die Reformation nicht den vornehmsten Anteil gehabt hätte.
0: And now we come to the last story for today. It's called The Mysterious Stranger and Other Stories by Mark Twain. Here's a Mark Twain story that's very unlike those he's become famous for. It concerns the deeply religious residents of a small village in Austria during the late 16th century. And what happened to several of them when a strange man begins to visit their insulated homeland. There's little of Twain's humour here. This is a horror story, a parable, and a warning. Here's a sample from the first chapter, read for us by Ted Delorme.
1: Some people charged him with talking around in conversation that God was all goodness and would find a way to save all his poor human children. It was a horrible thing to say, but there was never any absolute proof that Father Peter had said it, and it was out of character for him to say it, too, for he was always good and gentle and truthful. He wasn't charged with saying it in the pulpit, where all the congregation could hear and testify, but only outside, in talk, and it is easy for enemies to manufacture that. Father Peter had an enemy and a very powerful one, the astrologer who lived in a tumbled old tower up the valley, and put in his nights studying the stars.